Welcome to the Thinking Differently podcast, where we explore the new horizons of our rapidly changing world. I'm Rod Collins, your host for today's podcast. As technological innovations continue to transform the rules for how successful businesses work, we challenge business leaders to rethink how they remain competitive in a digitally transformed marketplace. This is season one, and our theme for this inaugural season is digital transformation. Over the next 10 weeks, we will explore what may very well be the most significant socioeconomic revolution in the history of human civilization. A revolution that is radically changing how the world, especially the world of business works. We will learn how the rise of distributed networks and the capacity to leverage collective intelligence are rewriting the rules for managing organizations. How new technologies such as the Internet of Things, blockchain, and artificial intelligence create new opportunities for innovative business models, and how advances in digital capabilities will enable a human-machine symbiosis that will result in an evolutionary leap in human intelligence. In this first episode, we begin by exploring the incredible power of distributed networks. In his book, The Seventh Sense, Joshua Cuparamo relates the story of one of the most closely guarded secrets during the early years of the Cold War. If the Soviet Union had engaged in a nuclear first strike, it was highly likely the United States would have been unable to respond. That's because the American field officers and their commanders in Washington would have had no way to communicate with each other. Consistent with the technology at the time, the American radio and telephone systems were highly centralized, which made them also highly vulnerable. One of the key structural problems of centralized systems is that each regional center has the potential to become a single point of failure that can disrupt the entire system, as often happens when air traffic across a nation is snarled because of unexpected weather at a major hub. Fortunately, this national security vulnerability was corrected with an innovative solution, the distributed network. Recognizing the urgency of this challenge, Paul Barron, who at the time was with the joint venture between the United States Air Force and the Douglas Aircraft Company, known as RAND, devised a way of building messaging systems without any central hubs. Each message would be able to find its own path from point A to point B. Thus, If any part of the system was disrupted, the remaining pathways in the network could resiliently adapt to route all the traffic in the system with minimal disruption. This structural shift from centralized systems to distributed networks, which solved a critical military problem in the 1950s, would turn out to be a harbinger of a dramatic phenomenon 
that would shape the early 21st century. Digital transformation. There is no topic that is both more important and more confusing to business leaders than digital transformation. With the deluge of articles and keynote speeches on how the digital revolution is accelerating radical change, you would think that there would be more clarity about this pervasive phenomenon. Instead, there is a general sense of confusion, reminiscent of the old Buffalo Springfield lyric. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. What we do know is that none of us could live without what are now necessary gadgets that just a mere decade ago were figments of our imagination. We also know that these marvels are changing our lives more profoundly than any of the progressions of the 20th century gadgets spotlighted in Disney World's Carousel of Progress. What isn't clear, however, is the extent to which the technology revolution has not only transformed our gadgets, but also the fundamental fabric for how the world works. And until business leaders understand the full extent of the profound changes spawned by the technology revolution, digital transformation will remain an elusive enigma. The first thing we need to understand is that digital transformation is not just a technology revolution. It is far more importantly the most significant socioeconomic revolution in human history. We are in the middle of an unprecedented inflection point in the development of civilization, the transition from the first human epoch where centralized hierarchies that leverage individual intelligence were the basis of social organization. Two, the second human epoch, whose social structures will be highly sophisticated distributed networks capable of rapidly leveraging human and artificial collective intelligence. This fundamental architectural shift from hierarchies to networks is the essential evolutionary dynamic of digital transformation and is changing the world rapidly and profoundly. And there is nothing that can stop this change. In the next decade, we will experience two of the most consequential events in human history. The connection of all humans and things via a common digital network and the proliferation of human collective intelligence via artificial intelligence systems. This transition represents a seismic qualitative shift in the human experience because humanity itself will be transformed. The key building blocks for solidifying this shift are already in place. They just need to be configured. The next thing we need to understand about digital transformation is how networks work. That's because, as Paul Mason presciently observes in his book, Post-Capitalism, the intelligent machine 
was not the computer, but the network. In other words, it's not the gadgets that are intelligent, but rather the underlying networks of people and data that connect to the gadgets. What makes the gadgets so powerful is that for the first time, we have the wherewithal to rapidly aggregate and leverage the global collective intelligence of human and data networks. And now that we have this capacity, an inevitable evolutionary shift has been set in motion. And when it is complete, the fundamental architecture and the basic rules for how all our socioeconomic institutions work will be radically transformed. When we think of architecture, what comes to mind are beautiful buildings or elaborate edifices. We rarely think of architecture as something that explains how societies or economies work. And yet, without social architecture, much of what we experience as everyday life would not be possible. A fundamental social architecture must answer two questions. The first is how does power work? And the second, how do things get done? In hierarchies, power belongs to those in charge and things get done through the application of centralized control mechanisms. Thus, hierarchical structures leverage the individual intelligence of the elite to organize the work of large numbers of unconnected people. In networks, however, power belongs to the connected and things get done through the application of collective intelligence dynamics that enable the self-organization of work among large numbers of people. Thus, the prime distinction between hierarchies and networks is that hierarchies are designed to leverage the power of the few, while networks naturally enable the power of the many. Although it may seem counterintuitive, networks are far more effective and far more efficient than hierarchies because by leveraging the distributed intelligence of the many rather than the smarts of the elite few, networks accelerate the path to knowledge. This acceleration is a byproduct of what is known as the network effect, which is achieved when networks reach a sufficient level of critical mass to give rise to the sequential evolution of three laws. The first of these laws is the law of connections. The simple act of connecting things or connecting people changes the fundamental dynamics for how power works by shifting the locus of power from elites to peers. We saw an example of this in April 2017 when David Dow, a physician, boarded United Flight 3411 at Chicago's O'Hare Airport to return home to Louisville.
After Dr. Dow was seated and the other passengers had filled up the plane, the gate agent came onto the plane and made an announcement over the speaker system. We need four volunteers, she said, to agree to leave this flight and take a later flight because we have four crew members who need to go to Louisville to handle a flight that will depart from the Louisville airport. Despite all the incentives of vouchers, nobody volunteered. And so the gate agent randomly drew four names. Three of the four people departed the plane. The fourth person was Dr. Dow, and he refused to leave the plane. He protested, I have patients that I need to see tomorrow. I am boarded in this seat. I should not be asked to leave. The gate agent insisted. Dr. Dow continued to refuse. Finally, the gate agent summoned the local police who both physically and violently removed Dr. Dow from the plane. Many of the other passengers were horrified and they recorded this on their iPhones. And within a matter of hours, their videos were all over social media. Now, the next morning, the United CEO sent out an internal memo in which he praised his employees for their adherence to company policy, reinforcing his commitment to stand behind them in their proper handling of a belligerent customer who refused to give up his seat in deference to corporate wishes. It appears from the memo that the CEO was certain the airline did everything right and the passenger did everything wrong. However, the subsequent 24 hours after the release of the memo, well, things changed. That certainty was shaken when a social media firestorm and a significant drop in United stock price brought a healthy sense of reality to the airline's executive suite. The CEO began rapidly walking back his initial comments and shifting into full damage control when he realized as far as the public was concerned, the passenger did nothing wrong and United did nothing right. And so in this example, in the end, who really had the power? Was it a person in charge or was it the people connected? When the level of connections reaches a critical mass, then the second law kicks in, and this is the law of self-organization. When this happens, peers begin to self-organize their efforts in autonomous and often unexpected ways. We saw an example of this a few years back when Craig Newmark moved to San Francisco to accept a new job. Craig was a software developer, probably a bit of an introvert. And so upon arriving in his new city, he created an email distribution list to notify fellow software developers of social events in and around San Francisco. As a newcomer to the Bay Area, Newmark thought this list of fellow developers 
might be a good way for him to quickly build a community of friends and contacts and escape the sense of isolation that often accompanies a move to a new town. While Newmark intended the list to be a vehicle to broadcast social gatherings, serendipity took the budding internet community in a very different direction. When the growing list of subscribers began using the mailing list for general advertising postings, in particular, people who were looking to fill jobs discovered that the list was a great way to connect with job seekers possessing the skills they needed. As the population of the powerful classified advertising tool began to explode, Newmark was able to quit his regular job and work full-time running a new company we now know as Craigslist. You see, even though Craig Newmark founded and started the email list, it was the self-organized communities of the users of this list who decided the true mission of Craigslist. When a network achieves an effective level of self-organization, then the third and final and most powerful law kicks in, the law of collective intelligence. It is then that the network develops the capacity to rapidly aggregate and leverage its collective intelligence, often producing extraordinarily intelligent results at incredibly fast speeds. As we learned in the summer of 2011, when Faris Khatib, a biochemist at the University of Washington, turned to Foldit to solve a stubborn molecular problem that had stumped the world's best scientists for over a decade. Foldit is a collaborative online video game developed by the University of Washington that enlists players worldwide to solve difficult molecular problems. What's most interesting about Foldit is that many of the more than 250,000 players have little or no background in biochemistry. There are no special requirements for joining the Foldit community. All comers are welcome. The stubborn puzzle involves figuring out the detailed molecular structure of a protein-cutting enzyme from an AIDS-like virus found in monkeys. Cracking this puzzle could be the breakthrough needed to arrest the medical malady. When Khatib presented the molecular challenge to the folded community, something amazing happened. What had evaded the world's best individual scientists for 10 years was solved by the collective intelligence of a diverse group of online gamers within only 10 days. This means the online gaming community on Foldit was at least 365 times faster than the world's best individual scientists. Hierarchies and networks are not equal alternative structures in a hyperconnected world. Networks tend to outperform hierarchies by a wide margin in terms of both intelligence and speed. 
This poses a serious problem for organizational leaders. As the fundamental architecture for how the world works rapidly shifts from hierarchies to networks, our public and private sector leaders are severely challenged because, as Joshua Cooper Ramo notes, we're at an extremely primitive point in our understanding of networks. Rapidly increasing our understanding of how networks work and how to lead them is the most important leadership challenge of our day. Leaders can no longer afford to build centralized organization where supervisors with the legitimate authority to kill good ideas or keep bad ideas alive become legions of single points of failure. If leaders want to build resilient organizations that have the wherewithal to rapidly adapt to disruptive change, the first task of digital transformation is to learn how to build and lead highly effective distributed networks. Thanks for listening today. Please join us next week for another episode where we will share more engaging stories about the new rules for successfully leading businesses in a rapidly changing world. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.